Scripture finds us back in the Gospel of John in chapter 10 this time. We'll begin with verse 1. Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. For some time now, uh, people of Central, we've declared our intent to be the church of the wide embrace and the warm welcome. It's hard to do that without good signage. And I hope you're going to walk around our campus inside and out, see the new signage. It's, it's going to make us a much warmer and a more welcoming church. Special thanks to Ken Maxwell and his group for doing such an able job. Well, here we are. I told you last week all these I am statements should be on the final test. You need to memorize them. There are seven. And we noted that, well, which is it? Is it one of these or all of these? We would say more. If we can't sum Jesus up in 25 words or less, could it be? That's because Jesus is the window to the unfathomable and definable I am. So nay, now today, we go into another one of the metaphors. I am the door. Or it could be I am the gate because so much of the language has to do with the sheepfold. The first part of the 10th chapter seems to hint more at the communal sheepfold that would be in a town. There would be an actually enclosed building and a locked door and the thieves might break in through the window, but only the real shepherd would come and they would know the voice of that shepherd. But then we get a different type of sheepfold in the last three verses. This is more about out in the country, away from the town. It would be the summer season, and now they've moved the flock, and the, the sheepfold is just really an open area um, surrounded by stone fencing, and there's an opening. And at nighttime, to keep the night predators away, what does the shepherd do? He lies down in the opening. Do you, do you see the picture? The shepherd is the door. The shepherd is the gate. Now, now, that's kind of troubling and risky business, isn't it? But look, for the shepherd, um, the, the flock, this was his livelihood. This was the extended family. They not only knew his voice, he knew their disposition, he knew their names. And somebody threatened them. Oh, my goodness, he would defend the flock like he would defend his own life. I'll just carry that over into human relationships. 
all in all, don't we say that, um, well, we better not to get too involved in solving somebody else's problems. As parents, we say, um, just you mind your own business. We say this to our children, let other people mind theirs. And we say if we try to do too much minding somebody else's business, therapists call that codependency, call it um, boundaries violation. And there's truth in that. If I try to take care of your stuff, that can be both crippling to me and you. I'm going to go suggest that isn't it empowering to, to have somebody in your life and they pretty much step up and say um, hey not so fast if you're talking to him you're talking to me or they might step up and say hey not so fast if you're trying to bother her you're going to her first have to bother me didn't Romans 8 suggest that Jesus is that kind of gate when peril or persecution or famine or distress comes knocking at our door? Jesus, the gate, steps up and says, oh, you're going to have to come through me to get to them because I have a love that, from which they're never separated. Well, a gate, that kind of gate, has to do with keeping certain principalities and powers at bay. But, hey, a gate... It's a door. It's about entrance. Now, is this entrance just for a few? No, no. This is Jesus, the gate. I mean, this is the Lord of all mercy and grace and acceptance. You knock on that door, and it will open. You seek, and you will find. Right. And besides, Jesus isn't just the gate. He, he's like the hound of heaven who's on the road looking for us before we would look for him. He tells us that we're not the only ones out seeking and searching. Yes, you and I are searching for God, but God is also searching for us, all of us. There's no checking of credentials or resume at this door. It's entrance for any and all. Well, you're probably going to hear some stories over the next few weeks of my recent wanderings in the section of England called the Cotswolds. I really just got back from that. And it's a great historical area, pastoral, um, woodland beauty. But I think the thing that really caught me, just, I don't know, I find it just being the real takeaway was the unbelievable free open access to every trail, every footpath, even through private lands. On a typical day, as, as you're walking and trekking from village to village in these different circle routes, um, you would maybe come through 12 or 15 different property gates, sheep gates, styles, and guess what? They were all open. They were all open. Sometimes the sign said, well, would you please close the gate behind you? And then you'd be walking for four or five miles and all of a sudden here you are at some historical abbey or church. Inside those churches, some of them went back to the Saxon days, the Norman days. There would be art treasures of um, fresco-like wall paintings and beautiful intricate stained glass. And guess what? Every door was open. Oh, they did suggest that you might want to consider your boots, and I did pull this off one of the ancient church walls, a little bit of poetry. I dirtied the floor that's wooden and bare, that's cl cleaned and scrubbed with tender care, so please be good and enter in without the mud that boots bring in.
After about four or five miles on the Cotswolds in the rainy season, you've got about 10 pounds of mud on your boots. And, but the part that I liked most about that statement was the spirit of the Cotswolds. Please enter in. Yeah, please enter in. That's Jesus' message. Jesus the gate. Any and all, please enter in. Enter what? Enter what? Where, 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 where's this gate taking us? Uh, Jesus says, oh, it's not taking us to modest pastures. It's taking us to green pastures. Um, it's taking us to that place where God is at work, and we hear God telling us again and again that there's always more life where life itself comes from. And when we get to the place, we say, oh, maybe that's all there is. No, we find out that there's still more life that God has to give. It's a journey of unending growth and newness. We are moving into an area in which we are seeing and tasting that which we have never known before. Okay. Enter in. It's the gate. It's going to be abundant. But let me make this observation. It's simple. Isn't it true that a door has very little meaning unless you use it? Right. A man named Hans Sachs, he, he wrote this little book. I found it to be kind of compelling. It was warm and it was sensible. Um, but the thing that in the book that I remembered the most was the title of one of the chapters, and this was the title. Locked in a room with open doors. Think about that. So in this chapter dealt with, the, dealt with these two brothers. They have been growing up and around one another, struggling to figure out what it is to be brothers. And the older brother has just, he's kind of had it with one of the unusual fears of his younger brothers. Well, all kids have fears. You know, fear of strangers, fear of, uh, you know, the dark, going and getting a shot at the doctor's office, fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of one's mouth, all these childlike fears. But his brother had an interesting fear. Not a fear of locked or shut doors, but of open doors. It wasn't that he was fearful of what would come through the door. He was fearful what it might mean to step out through to a place he hadn't been before. And this brother never wanted to go much of anywhere, and his brother was frustrated. And one day he said, I'm going to break him of this fear and this habit. What I'd like to do is lock him in a room with all the doors open. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. Isn't there truth in that? Sometimes maybe um, we find ourselves stymied. We find ourselves immobilized, not by external obstacles, but our fear, our inertia within. Right. Yeah. I know it's true that um, some people are dealing with shut doors. Yeah. You can hear the sound of the bruised knuckles in our society knocking on doors that have been shut. I talked to a man this week that the door that has been shut to him for the last three years is affordable housing. He's been trying to get in. And where's the church and all that? I think the church ought to be something of a battering ram to, like one of the children said down here, knock that door open. <laughs> it's been shut. Okay. But the other side to that is I think at times we are prisoners in a room in which the doors are open. Nathaniel Hawthorne understood that. He said, um, what dungeon is as dark as the stifled heart? 
what jailer is inexorable as a fearful mind? Yeah. Well, I don't know whether we're ready or not for Jesus the door who has something more in mind for us, who, who steps up, who comes into our midst and says, here, um, don't you know your wholeness is still out in front of you? He comes to us and he, he helps us to imagine ourselves being made whole. He helps us um, imagine ourselves in love with God and neighbor, to imagine ourselves, our very breath coinciding with the breath at the center of the universe. Jesus coming to us in our midst as we are, where we are, leading us out. You see, that's the key. Leading us out. Sometimes I think I, I, I have seen Jesus the door lead people out when the doors have been slammed in the face. People dealing with loss of health, loss of work. And hear what Jesus the door means to them. Jesus becomes this source which helps them see the doors that are surprisingly still available. You know, people begin to realize that, oh, I can't change what has happened to me. I am in charge of what I believe about what has happened to me. I, I can choose my attitude about what has happened to me. I've seen people become more alive to what they can still dream to and aspire to and, and build their heart around, you know. But I also think Jesus is the door that leads us out when we find ourselves in those stifled places, you know, where we maybe have found ourselves just settling in and settling down right, into the green pastures yeah, and the green pastures that aren't green anymore because we've been there too long and uh, they've become the burnished brown because, well, it's kind of like we're now in a pasture with, locked in a pasture with wide open spaces. Jesus wants abundance for us. Oh, there's something else I forgot to tell you about in the Cotswolds. I saw this several times. It would be in the morning and you would see a farmer moving the sheep, big old flocks of sheep over there in the Cotswolds, and he would move them through one of the gates, and they would go into the greenest field you've ever seen, not just green with grass. I mean, this, this was vegetable crops. This was legumes and, and snow peas, real veg. This is like Thanksgiving lunch and dinner for the sheep, and, and they would be led into that wonderful field of eating and grazing. You'd come back in the afternoon, and my goodness, it, it turned burnished brown, but be of good cheer, sheep, because the fence that is stopping them is a just a temporary fence and the next morning that will be taken away and they moved into the next good green eating space and you look it's tumbling acre after acre of green abundance and that's that's what Jesus said he wants us to enter in but sometimes well we stay put we stay where we are we get to choose don't we we get to choose We've heard it said, God never knocks down the door to the human heart, nor does I think God ever push us through a gate, through a door. Am I losing it there? Okay. Um, we get to choose. Here's a question that might come out of this scripture. Christian wholeness really isn't just about going through one door. It's about, I think, a lifetime of 
gate after gate, all right? And so here's, here's the question. Do we really want to move into a whole new way of being and doing and living? Do we really want to do that? I mean, that means to move into an arena of um, greater responsibility and accountability. Do I really want to leave what I've become accustomed to? Remember Shawshank Redemption, the movie? I, I love the character Morgan Freeman played. He'd been there in prison for about 25 years and listened to what he said one day. He said, you know, when a man first gets into prison, he hates the walls. Um, he, he wants those walls to come down. But, well, after you've been here for a while, you kind of get used to them. After a while, you don't even know they're there. And then listen to what he said. One day you wake up and you realize you need the wall. Are you willing to confess and admit before God that sometimes that we might have chosen the walls over the open door? Just maybe. So here comes God, ready or not, and here comes Jesus, the door. You ever feel those door moments, those nudge moments? You ever been in church and that voice says, well, look, you already know what it means to be a forgiven person. You've accepted that. Now are you really ready to think about what it means to be a forgiving person? Oh, or look, you know you've accepted the fact that you possess certain talents. Now are you ready to think about the difference between talent and gift, knowing that you're a gifted person? Are you really ready to understand what it means to be a giving person? Yeah. That's what I found that Christian life is like, gate after gate. And here's our part in the story. We get to choose. I think we have these door moments. We get gate moments. Nobody can take our turn for us. There's no designated hitter. You just you step up and, and, and you get to choose and I get to choose. I don't think it's always an easy choice. I, I think it has certainly a degree of strong, heartfelt desire coupled with um, kind of robust will, willingness, willfulness to just get up and move on. I think the most courageous act in the journey of Christian wholeness is the first step. That first step toward the gate or through the door. I think beginning is so hard that sometimes to take the first step, it means you're halfway there, halfway there. Here's something else to take away. As we think about these matters today, here's the invitation, here's the door. What's at stake? Well, you and I can go with the flow that comes from the Spirit of God the flow that carries us deeper into the rightness and fullness of the life we were created for. We can go with that or, well, we can settle for something less. It might not be a bad thing we settle for, but we can settle very easily for something less. I've heard it said that there are two primal fallacies of the human story. One is um, that we grasp for too much. We, we want to hold on to more than we were meant for. Um, the Greeks called it the sin of hubris, of Prometheus. 
May I suggest that the other side of the coin is as common and debilitating. We aspire for too little. C.S. Lewis said, I really think that our Lord thinks that um, our desires are not too strong but too weak. We move around like half-hearted creatures, fumbling about with dim passions when divine joy has been offered to us. Then he closed out and he said, we are too easily pleased. So I close with this story. It's something of a parable for me. That's a boy, 11 years old. He's grown up on a farm. It's a simple life, but it's a good life. And he goes to his little one-room schoolhouse. This is way back in the turn of the 20th century. He goes to a little one-room schoolhouse. And there is a bright colored poster on the side of the blackboard. I guess the teacher, somebody had put it there, said, coming to town, greatest show on earth, circus. The little boy, he had read about circus, heard about circus, seen pictures of circus, never been anywhere close to a circus. Goes home, tells his father about it. His father says, you're 11 years old, son. It's time that you went to a circus. But you know it's going to be on Saturday. We always have things to do, chores to do on Saturday. And well, But if you get up early, if you get the work done, I'll see to it that you'll have plenty of time and plenty of resources to go to the circus. Boy's up at 4 o'clock in the morning. He has milked the cows, fed the chicken, moved 12 bales of hay by 6 in the morning. Father said, job well done, son. Boy, now son, you're going to go to the circus. I want you to go and get washed up and put on your best clothes. And as the boy gets ready to leave home, the father pulls out a $5 bill. It's the most money the boy has ever seen. And he puts it in the boy's pocket and he says, son, now you take this. And this is going to be more than enough to buy a ticket. You can get a ticket. There's going to be something left over for soda, maybe some popcorn. Boy, the boy's, it's like his feet hardly touch the ground. He's on the way to town, lickety split. Well, he gets to town and you can kind of picture the scene. You see, the train has come into town, the circus train. And what they're doing, they're unloading it. And then the different actors and the different logistical pieces are being moved from the train through the town to the big tent, you know, where there'll be the greatest show on earth. Well, the boy sees it, and it looks a little bit like an impromptu parade. And the boy says, wow, never seen anything like this. There were a couple of painted circus wagons. One of them had a calliope kind of making some music. And the other one even had a tiger in it. And, oh, there was a man walking about swallowing a sword and a tall man on stilts. And there was a whole gaggle of clowns. And then there was a little gap. And here comes this final clown. You know, he had the orange hair, the painted face, the baggy pants, and he was carrying a bucket. There was no one really behind him. So the little boy steps up and he sees the bucket and he drops his $5 in the bucket and he turned and he went home. He turned and he went home. What happened? What happened? The, he never got to the big tent. He never got to the greatest show on earth, but he had seen a little impromptu parade and he thought he had seen all there was to see.
may the God who made us and the Jesus who calls us um, not let us be too easily pleased. Oh, you know, we all were granted entrance, weren't we? From nothingness into somebodyness. Um, it was on the house. We, with our birth certificate, we came. It, it marked that we came into this world and um, we got to be human. That's not a bad thing. But Jesus comes along and says, oh, by the way, let me show you another door. Enter in. Come all, any and all. And you'll not just see the parade of being human. Oh, no. This is going to take you into the wide open pastures where you can know what it means to live fully, abundantly, being fully human. Jesus said to any and to all who have ears, I am the door. <laughs>